Nick Proud, a VC investor uh, and portfolio manager at InsureTech. How are you? I'm very well, Lawrence. How are you? Yeah, good, good, good. Um, feeling a little bit worse for wear after uh, the football yesterday, but um, yeah, it, it was exciting to see Messi lift the World Cup finally. But um, we're back now Monday morning, or actually, I think it's Monday evening for you. It is 6 p.m. Yep, I've just done the bath with my kids, so hopefully they're quiet <laughs> in the background. <laughs> what part of Australia are you in? <clears throat> I live in Brisbane. Okay. Um, <clears throat> which is in Queensland, and um, but I spend a lot of time down in Sydney, which is the, the city that everyone from over your neck of the woods knows better. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and I, I was going to say, I mean, for good reason, actually, I, I think that, you know, there's, besides the good weather and everything, that there's quite a lot going up and on in the startup world out there. Um, and there I think is, yeah. InsureTech are obviously uh, one of the companies looking to encourage that and support that. Um, in terms of in terms of InsureTech Gateway's mission, vision, values, you know, w- w- what is it really that you guys are focusing on right now? Yeah, so so we're obviously with our name. It's um quite obvious we we focus on insure tech and that part of the industry. Um, insurance has really high barriers to entry and has for many 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 years, and also has is really behind the curve in innovation um, compared to if you look at you know payments fintech, which has been well ahead. Um, insurance is kind of lagged behind there, but so so our mission. At Gateway really is to enable world-class founders to introduce their disruptive innovation into the insurance value chain. And you know, we've got a, a bold vision to be the leading insure tech global destination for early stage startups, investors and insurers. So we're, we're really cognizant that in insurance, it's quite a tight-knit industry, even though it's very large, it's more than $6 trillion US per year, but it's a yeah very tight-knit industry. And you can't just go it alone, particularly startups. You need to, you know, there's a big focus on partnering and having insurance businesses or in, in, the big insurers play a part with the startups as well. And I mean, in in terms in terms of um, insure tech, I mean, I imagine the uh, background to the founders have they come from the insurance sector themselves and kind of seen the issues there, or is it or is this kind yeah, of- it, we we get quite a mix. Um, so we, we do see some people who've worked and had a career in insurance and, you know, they've seen the other side, the big incumbent end of the town, of the, of the, the, the world. Um, but yeah, we, our focus really is to bring people from outside insurance. We, we bring the insurance domain expertise to the fray. Um, so we, we run an incubator model where we get really hands-on with our founders. Um, and yeah, so we, we know insurance between our team and our advisors and mentors that we bring, but we want people who are, they can be from the insurance industry, but we get more excited from people we see from outside the industry who've got deep domain expertise in whatever they might have done in their career. So we've seen NASA scientists come along with an idea on things and they bring different ways of doing it rather than insurance people who you know have, have done things the Rigid same way of doing ways. Yeah, 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 for 400 or so years is how they've done yeah. it. And and that's yep. how they, they hardwired to do it. So we, we're trying to hear rattle the cage a little bit with that. 
And, and how, how does the incubator program work in terms of how much do you invest? What percentage do you get? At what stage should companies or founders rather be applying to you guys? Yeah, so we, from our incubator, it's, there's no fixed terms or model that we invest or work with the founders. Every, every deal or investment that we do is bespoke to that startup. And so we really, what we like to do is to meet founders and the earlier the better. We've got six portfolio companies here in Australia. Three of them, we were involved in actually incorporating the company. So we met the founders when it was an idea. Um, but yeah, so we, we want to meet people really early. Um, they can bring their expertise and we can bring ours as well. And yeah, we, we get to know the founders, what their idea or their startup, where they're at is. And sure. it's all about what we can bring to the table to help fill the gaps in the needs of what they are to get to that next stage. Sure. I mean, I, I mean, at that stage, it's obviously very uh, hard to assess and value the business. Yep. So, so what, what is it that you're really like delving into? At that point, you meet a founder, you think that they've got a really good idea. They haven't built a product yet. They haven't got any yep. revenue yet. What's next? Yeah, no, it's, it's an interesting one. And there's no, there's no easy answer to that. You know, a lot of later stage businesses, if, if they have revenue, then they're possible or probably too late for us to look at from an incubator perspective. Okay. We also we also have a fund that's domiciled in the UK that will that can do those later more seed or pre-series A investments. <clears throat> but from an incubator perspective, <clears throat> putting a value on the business at that early stage, you're really just making up a number. It's all art, not science. There's no there's no financial model that you're running through or anything. So you know, there's, there's precedents that we see and in the market, you know, there's some data that gets published on sort of the average valuation sizes. Um, so, you know, those, those pre-seed early idea valuations typically, you know, this year has been a ride, a, a roller coaster ride of valuations, but at that early, early stage where we invest, it hasn't impacted them too much at this point, sure. but it's usually in Aussie dollars, it's sort of that two to $3 million is where they sort of start at. So I guess depending on the, the exchange rate of the day, you could halve that for pounds. That's kind of where we look to start. And, you know, again, a lot of it for us, when we're looking at it, it's all about the founders. So, so you, if they- I'm oh, sorry, you, you, you wouldn't like invest like 10, 20, 30,000? So no, so our, our model, we, we invest a small cash investment, right. but most, most of how we, work with founders is by rolling our sleeves up and working in their business with them. And in, okay. in exchange for that, we get what we, what we call sweat equity. So it's equity in return for our services because for us, and if they're an insure tech, that's where we provide more value than just pure cash. So it's a combination of the two. Um, and as, as I said, depending on their business model and their needs, we'll work out what those proportions and the percentages end up looking like. And, and again, it's a, it's a negotiation. We're not. We don't have set terms. You know, there's some more cohort-based accelerators out there globally that have more fixed terms. As it's done on a deal by deal basis with the founders. I get you. And how long in short take been around? <clears throat> so we we started in Australia in the middle of 2019, um, but in the UK there's a there's an office in London that started about two and a half years before that. So they were in 2016. Okay. I was, gonna, I was gonna say, I mean, I've actually been meeting with quite a lot of um, the accelerator programs, incubators in London. It's amazing yep. how many of them are pitching up here. 
Um, yep. We've actually, I've started giving talks at like universities and I gave one recently at University College London um, to like the FinTech and Blockchain Society. And I always start the same way, you know, with, with any of these talks, what do you guys want to get out? Yep. Right. And then I'll go around and I'll, I'll ask everyone, like, you know, I will write the questions on the board or what, what, what it is they want to know? Um, whether about fintech, blockchain, you know, building a startup in the sector. And then I will say to them, how many of you are, are currently building your startup? I kid you not, 24, no, more. About one in three people was building it was building a startup. Like everyone currently either they're either looking to get into consultancy and join a startup, or they are building their own startup. Yeah, sure. Yeah. These are smart kids. Like they they, you know, it's it's amazing. Like just coming, we we did one talk. It was meant to be like 45 minutes long originally. It went on for like an hour and a half, and then people waited around for like an hour behind, uh, an hour afterwards, rather. Um, just just to like ask like further questions it, it was interesting yep. but like um I think that there's London's a bit of a mess at the moment for the startup world but the ideas the innovation the ability to execute is definitely here unfortunately yep. there's just we, we, there's just there's no real support for for the founders hence why you build the companies here and then you just take them abroad which, yeah. <laughs> which is what we're going to do so yeah, yeah sure. the reality of it but i mean in, in terms in terms of um yourself like um your portfolio manager in short tech what were you doing before that or what, what what's your background in education yeah uh, so <clears throat> i've had quite a diverse career um spanned a number of roles and industries so <clears throat> I, I went to uni straight out of high school did a commerce and business degree with a finance major. Um, and then in my last year, what was graduating, I worked for a small business advisory firm. And so that was really, really cool place. They were doing some really different stuff, but at the end of the day, it was doing a lot of accounting, you know, doing journals. And I, I remember that one of the first clients I worked on, I got a shoebox of his receipts from the year and I had to sort through them. And I thought, if, you know, was really yeah, well, I learned some really interesting and good skills but I kind of thought and I did it for I was there for nearly two years but I thought I don't I don't see myself doing this forever so I, I took a bit of time out um was lucky enough to travel around the world a fair bit and then when I came back I'd always been really interested in stock markets and you know share and companies and, and corporate finance so I came back and worked in a small brizzy based business that was in funds management and then through there, worked into their corporate finance area, worked on a couple of IPOs and capital raisings here, um, and then into the on, onto the actual trading desk as well. So um, really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. And then, but then from there, I kind of thought, if I'm someone like my dad who's coming up to pre-retirement, am I going to give all of my hard-earned money to someone who's in their mid-20s who's got no real world experience in running businesses and how to invest it. So I thought I better go out and get some experience working for a company. So I, I met, met someone that I knew through a contact and they were kicking off a big Brazilian mining company that were in iron ore. They were setting up their coal operations when there was a big coal mining boom here in globally, but in Australia, we've got really good coal. And so I I came in and worked there in their commercial area, setting up 
basically their operations. You know, I was one of the first people working there in the in the Australian Army. Um, was that around 2010? Yeah, 2010. Yeah, 2011, I think it was. Um, yeah. yeah, so I spent a few years there. And that was really fun. Um, you know, big money working on coal mining projects. You know, there were investment decisions of $5 billion gates that they had to go through. So we worked on that. And then as the, all things cyclical do, the, the, the coal mining boom slowed down. And my job became from, went from buying assets to divesting them all. And me and the team did our job well enough that when we sold the last mine, we didn't have jobs anymore. <laughs> so, um, so from there, I went and worked for a, a regional bank. Um, in again, here in Brizzy, met someone who was kind of helping that to go to the next stage in their growth of rather than just being a really small, tiny niche bank, they wanted to get a bit of scale and work on some merger or transaction. So I came in and set up their strategy area and worked with the exec team and the board on, on a merger with them. And then they ended up after two false starts where motives just didn't quite line up. We ended up merging with one of the local Queensland insurance businesses called RACQ, which is the automobile club here that has an insurance business. Oh. And we can't, we became the bank and rolled into there. So that, and then from there, I worked as a product manager in that business. And that was kind of my exposure to insurance through that. Um, and then, yeah, worked there for a few years and then met the, the, the guys setting up Gateway here in Australia and just loved what they did or were working on doing and jumped across and, yeah, been there ever since. I, I actually started like buying up some like um, like mining companies in right. uh, in a small way. I'm buying shares, should I say, in mining companies around like 2010, 2011. Hard industry to make money in. Very hard. It is. Um, it, it's one of timing and momentum. And, you know, once the, the price of the, the commodity that you're in can drop overnight and then that company can really be worth barely anything at all. Do you know what? So I, I was. Do you know who Jim Cramer is? Do you have Jim Cramer yeah. in America? Yeah, okay, fine in Australia. So, uh, so I was watching Jim Cramer like years ago, and he was talking. About, there were two companies that he was talking about: um, Tesla and Eldorado Gold. And he was like, "Don't buy Tesla. It's going to zero. <laughs> it's a horrendous stock." However, Eldorado Gold, this is one to buy. And he was like, yeah. this, one's going, this one's going to the stratosphere. And I stupidly, stupidly <laughs> listened to him. I was like, I feel resentful towards him to this day. Um, but, um, <laughs> but it wasn't it wasn't product financial advice, was it? That he was stroking. No, no. To, to, listen, to, to, to be fair, like, I mean, it's my fault for listening to him on, on his, like, production, you know? Yeah, yeah it's, it's yeah. definitely... Everyone fun. has an opinion. <laughs> idiot i am for listening to him anyway but like, you live and you learn and I, I kind of feel that that was that was the last time i kind of tried to invest in in mining companies i think yeah. 2010 2011 time but um yeah um and, and in in terms of like yourself i mean obviously there's a huge element a, ne a necessity to be passionate um about startups um Um, th there's obviously like a huge necessity to be passionate about uh, startups. Um, what is it particularly that you're passionate about? What, what is, what's the bit that you enjoy? Because there's obviously like a lot of failure involved. 
so in in terms of startups there's obviously like a a lot of failure and there's probably not much joy in telling founders that their business is going to fail or that actually that you're not going to back it anymore um in fact i was going to ask you what what you're passionate about what bit you enjoy but what's it like to have to deal with that like what, what is the process at what point do you get to where you where you think actually john this business is is dead yeah it's it is a tough one and <clears throat> you know we we definitely follow or prescribe to the lean startup principles of you know fail fast and fail quickly um, and hopefully you're failing small. Um, we, we're very selective in the businesses we invest in and here in Australia, we do model in there will be failures. We know that there will be at some point. We haven't had any yet. Um, there's been, you know, the economic environment, I see globally, it's really bad. It's the sentiments. Yeah, yeah the set in, in Australia, it's negative the sentiment but i think it's from what i can see it's not as not as bad as some of the global markets like when we talk to our london colleagues and some us people that i know um and at the early stages as well so you know there's some big there are some big investment funds set up here that we've got a what, what's called superannuation i guess it's like a pension the, the equivalent in the uk and they've just raised a couple of them sort of a couple of billion dollars so there's there's a lot of capital there but Investors are being a bit more selective about it, um, but I guess with our with our model, as I said, we do we know that at some point one of the businesses we back will fail, and that's a given in the because of how early we back them. But with our how involved we get, we like to think that they'll be less than the, the success stories. And you know there are in our portfolio every week we're dealing with issues within the business, um, but I guess you know acknowledging that they will happen is the first thing and then how do we solve them or overcome them is the next thing so you know we've we have very regular catch-ups with our founders and you know, we basically act as a extension of their founding team so that we're here to really help and roll up our sleeves and hopefully we can come up with some solutions and and so far so good fingers crossed that continues so so what, what happens if say for example a business fails yep you then can you can the founders still continue if they want to carry on with that like can they yeah, so, buy back their shares or like what, what, what can they do yeah i think again we haven't done this yet but sure um yeah there's, there's i appreciate there's a few this is a very hypothetical scenario yeah so. no but yeah, yeah there are there are things you can do so you know the the one that people and shareholders will probably gravitate towards first is just winding up the company so you know, if you, if you kind of know where it's headed, if you can get ahead of the curve, you might say there might be some money left to distribute to the existing shareholders. So that's the, the I guess, the first port of call from what I've seen and heard. And But I guess, you know, if, if the founders really believe in what they're doing, then we've, we've seen examples where people can buy the other shareholders and the rest of the business and all of its ongoing liabilities and assets whatever they might be for a dollar for example so there is some consideration but yeah. then they can go away and do whatever they want with the business so there is that option as well because you know there are you know we're venture investors some businesses might end up not being venture backable businesses but they might be perfectly fine as more of a smaller scale 
business where those founders might want to just run it themselves. And yeah, that if, if it gets to that point, then that's something we can look at. Sure. I, and I, I definitely agree with you about in terms of like investors are being more selective. But there's also this element like you have to give startups time and yep. for ourselves. So we had an investor once and he he poured tons, like six figures into the business. And then it just he walked away. Yep. He just walked away. I'm talking about like didn't really like try and hold on to anything. Yeah. Because like, you know, even to this day, we've kept all the technology, we've kept everything, right? That he he essentially paid for in a separate yep. company and in a in a on a drive so if he ever like in 10 years time came back and said i paid for all of this and then i just went mia we can go well here you go here's everything you paid for everything yeah. you know yeah. see you later we're off um but it's mad to think that actually like from a founder standpoint you have so much failure you know that it, it almost feels that it's just it's just part of it's part of the story yeah yeah so, and i think I think in that, in your example there, where and it's probably a smart thing to keep it <clears throat> separate in case they do come back out of the woodwork because yeah. anything could happen. Um, yeah, I think probably, you know, my my advice to founders, if they're in that situation, you know, do it like what you've done, but ideally you just want to close out their shareholding or their stake in the business because so that there's no loose ends. If Whatever you can tie up in a bow and put to bed, then the, the, yeah. the better that is because... Yeah, things change quickly, don't they, for the better or the worse. And Daily. people might find out down the track and come back knocking on the door, like you said, looking for their what they're they're deserving of, yeah. whether they are or not, is a different story. But what, what what's the fun part of being a VC? Oh, there's there's many of them. Um, I didn't expect you to pause for so long, by the way. No, that, <laughs> that's all right. I've got to think which one's what's more fun than others, but I mean. I love that every day is different for myself. Um, I, tomorrow I'm flying down to Sydney for two days. We've got a, a somewhat lucid agenda where we've got a couple of things, but anything could happen in between. And I love that. Some people like knowing what their day is ahead of them every day. I, I, I'm the opposite. I, I like things being a bit more spontaneous, which is great. Um, and the other one probably is just the, the awesome people that we get to meet and hopefully work with or collaborate with. So, you know, some of the, I've always had advice from when I was younger, you know, always, if you can surround yourself with smarter people and that's pretty easy for myself. And it happens every day where I meet some of the, we've got different theses on different spaces, but sometimes people come with these ideas and it's like, I didn't know one that that problem or that thing existed. And these people have spent, 10 or 20 years of their life getting to know the ins and outs of all of it so you know just being able to absorb different things like that with people it's 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 fascinating and some days I get home and my wife will say oh how was your day and I don't know where to start because of so many all the different things that have happened and she she's not from startup or investing world and it's it's all very foreign to her and sometimes if I go into too much detail <laughs> I lose her but um <laughs> but yeah no I think and yeah they're the key ones but but yeah and and really what I love with Gateway, what we're doing is helping to build these amazing businesses just from an idea and turn them into reality. That's, that's, that's why I get out of bed 
you know, it's we're doing it for a return for our investors, but it's also to help these founders who, you know, insurance, as I said, is such a such a big market, but it has such huge barriers to entry. Sure. And we play our small part in helping these founders crack into it. And you know, they, as I said, they some of them are not even they don't even have a company incorporated, and they've gone on to some of the portfolio companies have raised hundred a couple hundred million dollars cumulatively within a That's really crazy. short space of time. That's crazy. Like, you know, you've got an idea essentially, but I would assume that they must have a track record of success. Not all of them. Um, right. Definitely, it gives a comfort level if they do. But yeah, some of the some of the good founders in our portfolio have, they've probably been exposed to the startup world themselves, but they've never, some of them haven't run or built a startup themselves and again again that that plays to part of what our incubator model is so you know yeah. we, we know insurance but we do know startup building as well oh, do you know i find it so weird how and um, maybe this is me being slightly delusional or set our risk sounding slightly delusional i found <laughs> i find it crazy how we haven't been snapped up like it, it's mad what we've done like we've proven we know how to run a business with yep. very little resources we've proven we know we know how to use um uh, build an online community we've proven that we know how to uh build out the average revenue per user high net dollar retention rates client acquisition you know like our hard number client acquisition. i'm not going to go into it but our hard number client acquisition cost at this stage is like phenomenal um and yet yeah it, it, it's amazing i i do feel that particularly in london it's possibly very different where you are but i feel that in london it's far more about who you know and a lot of these programs are designed to really only help the founders uh the young founders normally who they're, they're friends with their parents like yeah. is that fair or does that sound quite harsh um no there's definitely an element of that so yeah. you know a lot of the the funds and investors out there, if you can get a warm intro or someone to vouch for you in the first place, then, you know, that that's definitely well received. Um, but in saying that, if I think of myself, you know, I kind of meet the founders in the first instance when they pitch to us, um, a cold call or, a, you know, we've got a pitch function on our website, people going that path as opposed to getting introduced to me, I won't look at their business or, you know, ask any different questions of them. It's we've got a process that we run through. Um, but will you still give them the same opportunity if they if they like reach out to you like cold? Yep. Yeah. So I'll, I'll I'll always, you know, ideally we get a bit of info on their business or their idea to start with. So you know, the classic pinch step. That's the easiest or the most effective form to communicate what they're trying to do. Um, oh. But yeah, I'll always. Assuming it's it, it fits that insure tech definition for us and it's broader than insurance products, for example. So, you know, obviously you you guys looking in that sort of web three blockchain space, if we've we've done a bit of a deep dive with our UK colleagues on decentralized finance, you know, it's and, and insurance plays a huge part or can play a huge part in that, it hasn't really to this point. But sure. as as if there's any assets involved, then the insurance value chain can play a part. So as long as what the, the founders are looking at somewhat can fit within that insure tech word that we look at, yeah, then, then I want to meet them because 
I'm not doing my job if I don't meet them because they could be the one who has the, the best idea, just thought differently. I find I've actually got a few founders who actually I, I, I think it's worth you um, speaking with, or at least I can point them in your direction. But, yeah, cool. Yeah, um, I've got to say that obviously, you know, a lot of the students I'm meeting with now, they're either building companies or they want to go into investment banking, and now they really want to get into like the VC world. Um, culturally, what's it what's it like working at a VC? What are the people like? Um, you know, what, what what's the what's the atmosphere like more than anything yeah it's <clears throat> so i'm new to vc myself with gateway so I, I can speak from experience where um you know the the bigger funds here in australia there's a few of them they're kind of held up on a pedestal as being amazing and and, and they are in what they do all you need to do is get in touch with them um from my experience people are really receptive and they want to get to know other people and build their networks um I'm also lucky here in Brisbane, there's quite a thriving investor and VC scene that's building and it has been for the last couple of years. And there's a, a crew of about 20 of us who on the, the last Friday of each month catch up for breakfast just casually before work. And, you know, a lot of people think, and, and particularly in places, you know, maybe like Silicon Valley and places like that where it is really competitive, maybe it is there, but I find here in Australia, and particularly in Brisbane, it's a lot more, I guess, collegiate and people want to share ideas and talk about what they're going through, which which is re it's really refreshing. You know what? The, the London VCs are so far behind, like the American VCs, sorry, the European and UK VCs are so yeah. far behind the um, American VCs to the point where like we, 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 um, we're launching Rayon Live. And Rayon Live is like our live events where we take yep. the people from our community and we put them in a room together, like 200 people. And, and it's intimate, right? It's not like a big crypto event with like thousands of people or anything like that. Yeah. It's, yeah. we want people to be able, and we're very open about it. We want people to be able to sell to each other. We want people to be able to like hire each other, right? Network, really have like practical advantages to like these events. Yeah. With the UK VCs, they asked me to put together, like, and I'm talking about like big companies that have like VC arms. They'll ask me to put together like a return on investment. What will they get out of it? Like, whereas the Americans, they're like, let me fly in. I'll fly in, but yeah. I want to talk at the event. And I'm like, okay, but what if it goes wrong? What, you know, what, what if X, Y, Z? They're like, let me speak at the event. Yeah. That is so bullish. And so, yeah. so essentially, we've now got pretty much everyone speaking at, at our, our launch event is just like Americans. And it's yeah, just okay. like American, like I'm talking about like 60, 70, $80 billion VC funds. Yep. You know, they've just got a completely different attitude. You know, they know that the, their startups are in London. They know that actually it comes down to like getting in front of people and like just doing deals. Yep. Um, and they know that actually this like small space, the space that you're in, is the future, or at least for now, right? The next three, four years, it's going to yeah. be about finding those really early stage growth companies, which have just got like phenomenal founders. So, you know, and they know that these founders haven't necessarily got a hundred million dollars in funding already. So, but culturally it's just so, so different. So different. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, we're big on going to events and if we get up and speak then that's great but yeah as you said it's it's about meeting people and 
if, if people don't know we exist, then we can't do our job yeah. by backing them. So yeah. that, at the end of the day, that's what we spend a lot of time focusing on. And yeah. we, we want to we want to find the best founders. And yeah. if they want to find us, then great. Yeah, the, the universities are just like booming with like amazing ideas. Uh, but again, ideas, I guess, are probably cheap right now. Um, but, you know, the ability to execute, there's definitely a lot of like guidance and nurturing needed. But and, and I think actually one thing I was going to ask you about is obviously like pitch decks, right? They all ask yeah. about pitch decks. I tell them, like, we've got our pitch deck on our website. I tell them not to worry too much about pitch decks. I say to them, it's far more about who you know than it is about, you know, putting together a pitch deck. And actually, if you know the right people, they'll help you put yep. together the right pitch deck. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, I think, yeah, sorry. From from our perspective, as I said, <clears throat> you know, a pitch deck, we don't just want to see a pitch deck for, for the pitch deck's sake. It, it, it is an effective way of, I guess, telling a bit of the story. But what we're looking for is that, deep domain expertise in a particular field, whatever it is, and then how that potentially can apply into the insurance vertical in some way. So it's quite, it's broader than what many people think that we look at, but yeah, if, if someone doesn't have a pitch deck, that's fine. Tell me the story, but at the end of the day, are you solving a problem that's scalable and you can actually have a solution for that? And if you, if we think you do, then let's work on what that might look like. I've got to ask, like, um, in, in terms of advice for founders, um, if you were at, at the start of your uh, start of your career, again, like, what, what would you have done differently? Like, what, what, what advice would you really have, I guess, for yourself back then? Yeah, I think, I mean, it, it's easy to look back in hindsight of where, where I've ended up now, but I think <clears throat> getting real-world experience is invaluable. So go and go and work for, you know, if you, if you want to be a founder yourself, go and try and find a job or, you know, go volunteer and work and just get exposed to a startup that's building something now because there's nothing better. You know, university and education is great for certain things, but seeing things in action in real life, there's no replacement for that. I agree. Um, and, and also, as I said earlier about surrounding yourself around with smarter people. So, you know, often I'll be in a room full of these hyper intelligent people and I'm, I'm the lowest common denominator, but that's a good thing. I try to absorb as much as I can. Um, well, you wouldn't be in the room if, if that was the case. <laughs> um, and it's also not, it's not a night like the VC world is tough, right? Like they, yeah, you know, the VC world is tough. Like there's, there's definitely they're, they're definitely constantly hiring and like re like recruiting like the brightest and best. Yep. Yeah, and you know ha have a really open mind. Um, there's many different paths to get to the same endpoint. You don't have to always take the tried and tested one of, you know, if people want to start out early, they want to be an associate in a VC firm. That's one way, but you can go and work in industry like I did and go and work for a company, get some practical experience that way, work as a product manager. You learn those skills that can apply to a startup and how to assess them. And then your way you go from there. That's, there's, there's many different ways. Yeah. See, my, my advice is I tell them to travel. Honestly, yep. just, just travel, like go yep. into the world. And I, I almost feel like what you were saying about like learning through experience. There's no better experience. There's no better way to learn than just like through traveling and seeing the world. Yeah, so, I agree. Yeah. And I think, and, you know, when you're 
in your 17 and you're finishing high school and you have to pick a university degree or whatever, it, I, I, I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. <laughs> you know, it, we're, we're always we're always learning, as my uncle um, uh, reminds me. You know, we're, 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 we never stop learning. No, exactly. But when I think about myself when I was 17, picking what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, I just picked something. And not many people these days, you know, maybe... 50 years ago or so people had a career and they saw that out to retirement but what I think people these days have a job for three or four years and move on and try well, different things and there's no loyalty anymore like zero it's, it's yeah. I mean I, I don't know if there ever was but like like these kids like I, I speak to them and they they think they're going to go to like these big like consultancy firms and they think they're going to be there for like 10 15 years make millions of pounds like they're not they're not like no. the only people that are actually making any real money now are like fund managers, influencers in an odd sense, athletes and company owners. Yep. That's it. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think the jobs of the future are going to have to be doctors, uh, nurses, carers, you know, therapists, psychologists, anything which really um, requires a high level like, of emotional intelligence. Yeah, that uh, that a uh, an AI bot can't necessarily recreate this. Yeah. Have you have you have you had a have you had a chance to play around with ChatGPT yet? I have. Yeah. What are your thoughts? Oh, it's it's really cool what it can do. Like it's amazing. Um, I think there's so much opportunity for it that people potentially haven't really scratched the surface yet of it. Um, you know, you see, I've seen people who write a poem through it and things like that. That's great, and it's super interesting but where's the you know where's the business or problem solving application of that i think that it's getting the name out there and one of our portfolio companies is a an ai business looking in a similar space so you know there's that momentum in the space at the moment which is great um but yeah in, i think the business that we're working with locally here um and the founders they there's two ways to look at it, I guess. You can either be scared because there's, you know, open AI doing this and taking over the world or the other way, which we talk about them, is there's this momentum in the space. Capitalise on it, and but do your own thing or version of it is, is kind of the way of thinking about it. Yeah, I, I, see, I, I'm slightly more, like, optimistic if I, I kind of feel that, you know, we're kind of at a crossing and it's kind of like if we approach it the right way, if we create jobs, if we protect uh, the jobs market overall, then you know it's going to be phenomenal. If we don't, then it's going to be a disaster. Like that's it. yeah. But I mean, yeah, it, and I think I'm oh, sorry. It, it, no, you're right. I think you know, there's some some really, you know, we, we in our day to day lives in whatever we do, there's many repeatable tasks that people don't want to do. Yeah. And if you can, if we can harness machine learning or an AI to do some of that and free us up to do the more cognitive thinking and the greater being things that humans are good at compared to certain animals or whatever then there's a lot of value that can be unleashed through that but yeah if we're going to just replace millions of people with computers or robots then i don't know if that's the best outcome uh, well, <laughs> for society I, itself. yeah I, I think elon musk even himself said chat gpt is scary good we're not far away from dangerously strong ai yeah. so you know it, it's definitely coming um, but in terms of like insure tech, so what what what's next for you guys? What's the future hold? What, what are you 
really like focusing on right now? Yeah. So we've, there's a few areas that we're focusing on. Um, obviously, and you probably see it in the press over on your side of the world, but in Australia, there's a lot of natural catastrophes that we're exposed to. So <clears throat> two and a half, three years ago, half of Australia was on fire. And that was a huge issue for many reasons. Now, um, those similar areas and a lot of those areas are actually flooded. So the whole, you know, there's people who deny climate change or global warming, whatever people call it. I think the insurers realise that the climate is changing and insurance is all about being able to quantify forward-looking risk price it and transfer it away from those vulnerable people and charge for that. So we're, we're spending a lot of time getting to know and working on solutions or different applications that could help with fire and flood being very topical here. Um, also the carbon economy. That's one of the businesses that our UK team backed. They, they've ensured the delivery of carbon credits. So, you know, if I go on a flight and I offset my, CO2 emissions by paying $3 or whatever it is. If, if however, they've pointed that money to planting a forest, if that forest burns down, then this business that our guys, the UK team have backed, ensures that that carbon is delivered and actually made good. Because you know, there's a lot of greenwashing out there. It's potentially a false economy in some areas. So in, sure. insurance can help sort of bring that. As long as, <laughs> I guess, as, long as the, yeah. As long as the insurance companies play ball with it, right? Because it's very hard. Yeah, exactly. If a forest yeah. if a forest burns down, you know the insurance company then have to go right. We're prepared to pay out because because yeah. forests do burn. As we've seen, forests do burn down. Yep. So yeah, we can't get away from how it. Do you yeah, guys, so... How do you guys rebuild it in Australia? So the the Australian wild or the the, the bush area in Australia, it for thousands of years it, it goes in cycles where it, for the seeds to germinate they need fire. So it grows back very quickly because it's used yeah. to it. It was just on such a widespread area. Like it was mil millions of square kilometers. Like I think, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but half of Western Europe size burnt down. So it's more about the loss of wildlife and things like that. Um, but yeah, there's a big, I guess insurance, like you say, when there's a claim, they come and pay hopefully for the claim. Um, what we what we really focus on is if we can prevent or mitigate those events happening rather than dealing with them after the fact. So we, you know, if there's people, founders that we meet who are experts in some sort of climate area that can work out how to get on top of these risks, whatever they might be, <coughs> they're the sort of people that we're really fascinated to meet at the moment. And then yeah. also, I'm sorry. as I said, a bit of that in in the the DeFi space, and you know, obviously, crypto has had its wild ride, and it's a the crypto winter continues, or will go another year, whatever. Um, crypto will survive. I, in some form, I think it will, but the some of the values of it, there's a lot of hype, and maybe sure. not a lot of tangible or real world applications behind it. It was. You know, those, those meme coins, perfect example. Yeah. If someone like Elon, you know, tweets about the, the dough going to the moon and back and then suddenly the price goes up a thousand X, then, you know, that, those prices aren't going up based on anything more than someone spruiking it. Um, but the, the application of 
whether it's um, you know the blockchain in insurance contracts, so having a smart contract, things like that. We, th there will be a use case in insurance. It's just working out how that could be, in it. and and it's probably a slower ride in insurance given the conservative nature. That, 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 that's why I was really careful, like with um when we started doing the podcasts. I was really careful to take like a very because of the nature of rayon. I was really careful to take a very like measured approach, like within yeah. terms of um, in terms of you know making it clear. Like even if you look at the the rayon website, there's nothing about it that screams crypto, right? There's like yeah. there's like one section which is like dedicated to crypto. But I think from my perspective, I've tried to take a very balanced approach and be like actually. You know, and I've said there's going to be tons of scams like from day one in crypto, right? Most cryptos are just scams. Um, that doesn't mean that there aren't good companies out there behind some of them, right? And there's real utility, as you said. But um, I think the technology, blockchain technology, I think especially, especially for, for fintechs, I, I, I think there's, again, there's tangible real-world applications there and utility that... I think pretty much all companies are going to be using over the next five, 10 years. But um, yeah, yeah, I agree. Interesting I think, one with crypto. Yeah, I think it's just getting away from the the people pushing it for the same themselves. Yeah, or, yeah, exactly. And it's more, yeah. What's the foundation of it and, and how is that improving things on where they are now? And I think if that if people can do that, then yeah, there's there's a future for it in some way. It might just be yeah. pushed back a few years. I, I, well, do you know what? I mean, I, I, it's kind of like the internet in like after the um, tech bubble crisis. That, that, that's kind of how I see it because the internet up until 2000 is very different to the internet that we have today. And again, it was just yep. that, that like flushing out of the system. But in like, I, I don't own any crypto. I've never owned any crypto. You know, uh, my business partners, you know, they question it less probably than I do. But yeah. I definitely see a use case for it. I, I just think that and I do think actually like with things like Bitcoin, I've said before, I can see Bitcoin going to a hundred thousand dollars a coin, mm -hmm. but not, not, not because there's any like direct utility behind it other than the fact that, you know, enough people accept it as, as they see this coin, this term store of value, right. That you now see yeah. pumped over like crypto Twitter everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, other than that, it's an interesting one. But look, I've got to say, Nick, it's been great to speak with you, Sal. I've really enjoyed it. So look, thank yeah, you too. Very, very much for your time. And uh, definitely, look, it would also be great to meet with your colleagues um, in London if, if we get the chance yeah, sure. or over here as well. Yeah, well, I'll be over in middle of the year sometime so we can stay in touch before then and catch up in face-to-face, in -face, not not through a computer screen no <laughs> definitely we need need more of that i kind of i definitely missed the world pre-pandemic so yeah 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 i think sometimes people revert to a zoom call but if you can if you're a 10 minute walk away i'd much rather meet in person <laughs> yeah absolutely well look nick thanks once again i appreciate your time cool thanks for having me lawrence